Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Liar. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Bill Christie. You know him on gambling Twitter as Lucha Larry. Shoot him a follow at Larry's Locks 2. Bill, always good to have you aboard again. We're going to talk some Masters as the biggest week in golf has arrived. And we record on a Tuesday evening. You listen on a Wednesday morning, afternoon, whenever it may be, on Masters Eve. Uh, I guess they're still doing that par three contest. So, uh, Bill, good to have you aboard, though, nonetheless. How are we doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Looking forward to the Masters here. I actually got out myself. Gotten around in at a, at a really, really nice place. I don't know if you've ever been out to uh, this neck of the woods. It's a private course called Manufacturers, and it was just absolutely beautiful out today. And to play a course like that, it was really gearing me up for the Masters coming up uh, in a couple of days. So excited for that. There you go. No, I, I have not been out yet, and I have not been out to that area. Normally when I golf back home, it's always somewhere in South Jersey. So, um no, I have not uh, been to that course, but uh, definitely uh, there are certain things when it comes to sports that are signs of spring, and that first time on the links can be one of them for sure, and baseball opening day last week was another, and, and now here we are with the premier event in golf. Have you ever been to a live golf event, Bill? I have, actually. I was 
lucky enough to go to uh, it was the second practice round of uh, the o- U.S. Open at Marion, oh, which was practice round. So you didn't go to a real round. Well, then I went to a real round for the uh, FedEx Cup when it was up at Liberty National. I think it may have been the same year or, or the following year. But the the funny thing is to me, like if if I have to choose between that again, I'll, I'll go back to the practice round because. The the players, at least you know, from my experience, they were way more engaging during their practice round, which makes sense, right? Like, I mean, they're locked in when it's tournament time, um, and even during the practice round, some of the guys are really locked in; they don't want to be bothered. But a lot of them <clears throat> are really engaging. They'll take time, sign autographs, talk to fans. Um, another thing was you get to see these guys take so many different shots. You know what I mean? Like tournament, right. yes, you know they're going to hit the shot that that matters, but. Like at the uh, at the U.S. Open, we were watching. You know, I got to watch Tiger come up on a par three. He hit about four or five tee shots up, and then he went to a bunker and dropped about thirty balls in it. And seeing him hit thirty shots out of the bunker um, was pretty cool. You know, I I feel like if it's going to be a a real tournament, unless you're going, you know, on the Sunday where it's you know everything's wrapping up and you're going to get to see the, the winner. Outside of that, I mean, I'll take a practice round any day of the week over it. It was it was a really really cool experience. How about you? That's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I never even thought of that with the practice rounds. I've been to one event, and unfortunately, Mother Nature got involved. But um, I was at the 2016 third round of the PGA Championship at Baltus Rule up in North Jersey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, it was. At the end of July, they were having the PGA because it was an Olympic year. So they had Olympic golf in August. I was about to enter my senior year of college, and a couple of my good friends from high school wanted, and their dads were big golf guys too. So we drove up to North Jersey and then uh, parked wherever you were supposed to park and then took the shuttle on over to Baltus Rule. And like I said, Mother Nature got involved at probably about, Three thirty, four o'clock, let's say, kind of right when the big guns had kind of teed off and, and it was moving day. It was the third round, so it would have been a pretty fun day to be at. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were unlucky, too, because then the next day they had said to everybody that we stuck it out until they said no more play for the rest of the day. So we probably left the golf course at around 7.30, let's say, so we were waiting around for about three hours before they make that announcement. And then um, when they did announce that, they said that if you have a Saturday ticket, you were going to be allowed back for uh, Monday if they couldn't finish the third round in time. Uh, But of course the weather was good on Sunday and everybody got to finish their third rounds and then play the entire final round. And there was no need to play the event on Monday. So got a little shafted there, but, uh, a fun experience, nonetheless, and I definitely think it's one of those things where uh, if you get the right group of guys together, and yeah. uh, especially with where we're at in life now, just to kind of catch up with some buddies from high school or college and, um, you know, rent out an RV even, or just, just certain ways of, of doing it where you make a whole weekend out of it, even if you're only there for one round, and, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things can all be fun little things that come with going to golf events. But the Masters, obviously on my bucket list to uh, have never really looked seriously into going. I'd like to get there once in my life, uh, but to no surprise, those that I know that have gone have said, you obviously got to uh, empty the pockets for that one. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that story real quick. 
about a you know Mother Nature playing a role when I was at the Liberty National for the FedEx Cup one. Uh, same kind of thing. We ran out there. We were me and my buddy were like the first people there. We ran all the way out to the back nine because uh, Tiger was coming off of there, and he, we saw him tee off. We saw him hit his approach shot, and then the heavens opened up. Yeah. And we take off. We go into a tent. Um, long story short, we went went to this tent, and uh, it was a Mastercard tent. And uh, they're like, oh, here, sign up, and, you know, you can get a chance to win best seats in the house. I don't know if you remember that promo. They were doing it all different. I think I kind of remember it, yeah. And uh, our phones were both, like, dying at the time because we were, you know, doing all kinds of stuff, putting bets in and shit like that. And uh, so we had text this number. Yeah, they'll, they'll text you if you win, you know, best seats in the house. Yeah, whatever, okay. We turn our phones off, and then about an hour later, my buddy turns his phone on. He's like, why don't we check and see if we want? I'm like, we're not going to win, you know, I turn mine on, it's like, oh, thanks for participating, blah, 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 he turns his on, he's like, you're not going to believe this, get the hell out of here, you didn't win, he shows me his phone, best seats in the house, you and a guest, so we got to go up to uh, one of the, ten, the man, another MasterCard tent that was right at the approach on 18, right next to this other tent with all these hedge fund guys who we got to have <laughs> conversations with, open bar, all you can eat, all you can drink, we probably saw four groups come through because it opened up again and, and the same thing like with you, they blew the round dead. Uh, but that was, that was crazy to have that happen. You know, again, only four groups coming through, but it was still, still a cool experience. Uh, I was going to say, Hey, for a, uh, for an event that got halted by rain, I don't think you can do much better than that as far <laughs> as the rush and the excitement that it provided you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It was a good so, time. Anyway, before we get back to the golf, obviously, I think um, if you guys hung out with us uh, all winter long, you know that we did plenty of college basketball handicapping, and uh, the stars didn't quite align to get together for the Final Four, so um, apologies there, but at the same time, I don't want to apologize too much because I faded Baylor in both games, and so uh, (laughs) don't want anyone, anytime we don't do a podcast and uh, my picks end up being losers anyway that is always a little bit of a silver lining but uh, Bill just any reactions it really felt like uh, as far as I saw it Baylor won it not Gonzaga losing it and uh, the depth really on display for Baylor um, and uh, really two no sweat final four games for them between the semifinal and the title game um, and Scott Drew and, and, and Baylor get their first national championship just anything you took away from it well, the only thing I think I took away from it, and I hate to say it, is I don't know if Gonzaga is ever going to get over the hump. I hate saying it because they're such a respectable program. And 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 with I did hear a stat, by the way, just to back you up on that, and I hope you're wrong, and I think you hope yourself that you're wrong. But yeah, uh, Mark Few now zero and eight in the NCAA tournament straight up against number one seeds. Wow. Here's the thing, like. I, we've talked about it a lot during the season, right? Like, they they front-load their schedule, like, the only way they can um, with quality opponents. And they looked good, right? Like, they looked like they could hang, and obviously they won all their games. So, um, you thought maybe this team was a little bit different. But, I mean, from start to finish, it, it was men of, amongst boys out there. I mean, right. I, I, that's the first time you saw Drew Timmy look like, you know, he really looked like he was six foot four. You know, not six foot ten. Um, you know, uh, Mark Vital just—I mean—manhandled him in the post and, and on the offensive glass. It was just unbelievable. And you know, up and down the floor, they just—they looked slower than Baylor. Literally, every aspect of the game, Baylor looked better 
than Gonzaga at. And we talked about it again throughout the year. The Big 12 was a strong conference. We said Baylor is constantly being tested day in or night in, night out. Um, so when you look at it from, you know, obviously hindsight, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that Baylor was able to do that to them because of how strong they've been throughout the year within a very, very strong conference. Um, but, yeah, I hope I'm wrong, too. I hope Gonzaga can finally get it done at some point. Look, I, I believe they just signed a, five, a five-star a five recruit point guard to take over for Suggs, who, you know, anybody on that team that looked like they really wanted it, it was Suggs. I mean, oh, Jim sure. Suggs looked yeah. like he was the only one that was showing any emotion. I actually texted a couple of my buddies, yeah, kind of like tongue-in-cheek, half-joking, but half-kind of serious. I said, look, if I'm Mark Few, and this is when it was like, uh, I don't know, they were down maybe 16 or 18 in the first half, and they just looked like they didn't care. And I said, if I'm Mark Few, there's one of two things you do. One, you pull all five starters off, you sit them down, and you go, this is the biggest game of your life, and I'm going to be putting in these other five guys instead of you because you don't look like you want it. Right. Or I'm going to like my lowly walk-on, like last guy on the bench and going, go in there, take a hard foul, get teed up, and when you come back to the bench, I want you going absolutely insane to get these guys fired up. Like, there was just none of that, you know? It just looked like they got punched in the mouth and they were in shock, you know, almost kind of the going through the motions first half. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the one thing that stands out, just as far as you mentioned, the, the kind of bully ball that Baylor was able to play throughout the evening and uh, certainly the more physically – you know, tougher team throughout the night. Uh, Baylor, it was also a team that builds itself on, at least this Baylor team, was very transfer-heavy. And one thing that I do wonder about when it comes to Gonzaga, before and, and, and you know, certainly, like you said, five-star point guard coming in now, and, and Suggs was, you know, a massive recruit for them. But that had been one thing, too, right? Where And I, I don't know that I don't have – information to back this up so I don't want to go down a rabbit hole here that you know might not lead me anywhere but it felt like most of Fuse teams were always kind of the three four-year guys that were developed and you know you know Timmy's a sophomore and you know like the Kispers of the world right and so when it came to high recruits or transfers I don't know it just didn't feel like that was as much their MO so when it comes to like roster complexion and how these teams are built, it feels like, and again, maybe they're going to start to continually bring in one-and-done players, five-star recruits, yada, yada, but it feels like those kids are always leaning towards the big schools, whether it's via transfer or coming out of high school, and if they're not, then they're kind of doing like a Cade Cunningham or Ben Simmons thing where they're still going to a power conference and just competing against those big schools. So that'll be, that's kind of something that I do think when people talk about, are they going to get over the hump? Well, are they going to be able to get an impact transfer regularly? Are they going to be able to get five-star recruits regularly? And if not, then obviously, you know, the depth of some of these teams can play a factor when you're a team like Baylor that, like I said, they, they loaded up on the transfers and they were, they were pretty good even with the guys they brought in out of high school. So that's just one thing I'd add. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I really think that, unfortunately, I guess in a way for Jalen Suggs, is that's, that's on his shoulders. I mean, if he 
if he goes to the next level and he doesn't produce, I mean, tell me the other Gonzaga players that have made it to the league and been really, really good players. I mean, there's is there anybody? Right, and, and you know what, Clark and Hachimura were lottery picks, but yeah, but they're, they're not. I mean, kind of role esque type players right. in the NBA now. Exactly, and and that's look at that's the thing that gets me a little bit with this Gonzaga program is. I feel like if they want to, if they want to be that program that is going to really compete for the national title and actually win the national title, they they need to go to a conference that's going to be, you know, strong enough to to make them competitive going throughout the entire season. Because, you know, what it is now, it's just. And if you look back at it again, it's hindsight, but you look back at their path um, up until the final four. I mean, they didn't play anybody. I know? do wonder if, and, and again, I I don't know what's going on there as far as conversations behind closed doors with Mark Few and the athletic administration there in Gonzaga. But um, I do wonder if the success of the Pac-12 in the tournament maybe uh, kind of piques their interest a little more. That would be really league. interesting, yeah. That would be, I mean, I think that would be a great fit, obviously, where they're, where they're located in the, right. the fact that, you know, they, they turn some heads in this tournament and, Let's be real. At the end of the day, like there's there's a ton of programs within the Pac-12 that have always been strong programs. It's just they just seem to kind of fizzle and fade when it comes to tourney time, but not this year. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. So a good little button up there uh, on the college basketball discussion. Certainly glad the season got played. Congratulations to Baylor, and looking forward to November again when uh, we're talking some more college hoops. You're on full slate, but let's get into some golf, uh, just general strategies that we like to look at, uh, and then we'll get more into our Masters specific plays, outrights, uh, fades, matchups, etc. Um, Bill, I, I'll be brief here. I mean, I think the strokes gained metric is obviously going to be really key, and uh, generally speaking, people that do more golf betting than I do will tell you, you know, you want to kind of fade the guys that are gaining a lot of strokes with the putter because the putters are going to run hot and cold for almost anybody in the world. Uh, and you want to look at to the buying, the guys that are picking up strokes off the tee with the ball striking and then the good iron players that are hitting greens, things like that. I, I think, uh, you know, easily quantifiable golf data that can obviously help in handicapping. Um, you know, and then I think that you, I at least always like to look at a player's history at a given course. I think, uh, it's such a mental sport, right, where uh, if you have a player that maybe is coming in cold but has played well at a specific course, then, you know, maybe their prices are a little undermarked and you can kind of fire on them thinking, okay, well, you know, those first few birdie putts start dropping and, again, that kind of confidence comes back at that given course. And I think the inverse of that is true as well when it comes to maybe somebody coming in playing hot who has not had great results at a specific course, uh, then it can obviously maybe start to play mind games with the player the other way. And again, you're out there all by yourself. So uh, I think the course history uh, can always be something that I tend to look to as well. How about you? No, yeah, for, for sure. Especially when it's uh, outside of the majors because, um, a lot of those courses will set up the same way as other courses throughout the tour season. So I definitely like to put that into my handicap perspective. And then, you know, when you're dealing with the Masters here and, and other majors, um, for sh- just history within the tournament 
you know, obviously the Masters is, is held at one location, but U.S. Open, you know, the, the Open, um, you know, there are different locations, but it seems to favor certain guys when they're when they're in that atmosphere. And you said it, like, a guy seeing a couple birdie putts drop, it's kind of like in basketball, right, when you got a scorer who just seems right. off. He just needs to get a layup or get fouled and knock down a foul shot and just see that ball go through the hoop and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot I'm – a really talented player, and I, I, right. I can do this. And like you said, it's a very mental game, and certain guys just seem to uh, perform in, in certain situations or on certain courses. And you know, it's definitely true within the game of golf. So that definitely plays a part of it. Um, you mentioned the strokes gained from tee to green is a big, big statistic that I like to factor into, um, and then recent form as well. Just to see these guys how well they've been playing over the last anywhere from three to five tournaments. Um, and then and I, I think was, that yeah. recent form also goes back to what we're saying about the, the mental component of it. Like, if guys are coming in not playing well, you, you think about the normal schedule. You know, we just finished up down there in San Antonio on Sunday, and, you know, they're rolling right to Augusta. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, oftentimes leading up to majors, you're going to want to play three, four events at least, you know, leading up to the event, the major that is. So it's not like when you do get to the major, if you're not playing well, there's going to be like time to clear your mind or anything like that. So, you know, it's all that mental thing can be so hard to quantify. But if you got a guy that's coming in not playing well, um, it certainly can be a little more concerning than in a team sport if you have, you know, a team that's going in to any postseason, let's say, or a bigger game not playing well, well, you know, any one or two guys on that team might be playing well. And so I feel like the recent form in individual sports probably matters a little more. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a factor that plays a role uh, in my handicap. And the only other thing I'll say with that is, um, you know, I said the last three to five events, but I'll also weigh it a little bit if, you know, we just had a, what, we had the players recently, like a, a bigger tournament sure. where there's mostly you know bigger names involved. I'll I'll kind of weigh that a little bit more heavy, um, just for the simple fact when you look back historically, you'll see guys who you know are, are mid-level guys on tour who they might pick up a couple wins in, in some of these smaller tournaments, but when they get into a major or a bigger tournament where there's a lot of big names, you know they just seem to fade out. Uh, you know I'm not gonna weigh them as the same as the rest of the guys who you know, or winning major championships or, or high-level tournaments. So right. that's the other factor I like to play into it. Yeah, no doubt. That's certainly well taken, and the, the quality of the field is always something that you want to try and factor in as well. Let's get to it uh, and start to talk about some of the specifics of this year's Masters. Um, certainly was happy to get it in last year, but uh, as we said at the beginning, just nice to have this in its normal April slot, uh, like I said, kind of feels like the beginning of the spring uh, when we have a green jacket up for grabs. Um, and, Bill, I want to let you start um, as we're going to run through our outright plays uh, first. I imagine we'll probably spend the most time just talking about these specific golfers and why we like them. Uh, and you're going to fire away on Sungjae Im, uh, the South Korean. What do you like about him? Uh, so first of all, uh, his recent form. I'll go into that. <clears throat> his last four four outings, he's uh one top ten. <clears throat> excuse me, three top thirty finishes. Uh, he he's outside of the top twenty in strokes to gain. Uh, strokes gained from uh from tee to green. 
which kind of worries me a bit. Uh, but he also has a lot of factors that when you look historically over the course of, I think it was the last 12 years when I was looking at it, 10 of the 12 years there have been guys with a bunch of uh, similarities between them that have won the Masters. And, and he, he was like the only one that really fell into a majority of that category. He didn't miss last year's cut. In fact, I believe he – was he runner-up last year? Is that correct? Cameron Smith, I believe, was not okay, Dustin Johnson. Although I know that Sanjay had a good showing. Yeah, so he he obviously didn't miss the cut last year, so that that played a role in in factoring into the you know, like I said, these different factors that people had over the past ten years. Uh, his age, you know, he's right in that category where a majority of these guys have won right in the past. Uh, he also this year uh, has had. Finishes in the top five and also uh, finishes in the uh, top two, I believe, at some point this year, uh, which seems to be a factor as well. Now, granted, there's a lot of guys on tour that have uh, a lot of these statistics. It's just, I feel like, you know, at his price point, I believe that I got him at 40. I think I have him at 40 to 1. Um, just because of the value there where I see him at, I'm going to take them. And one thing that I, I'm, I guarantee you, I'm opposite of you on this because I know how you roll when you're uh, when you're getting the opportunity to hedge things or, or stuff like that. You like to let the hedging is for landscapers. <laughs> yeah, I hey man, I, I take free money. So you know, if I can get some of these guys at, at really really good value numbers, you know, come come the last round if they're within the hunt and I get an opportunity to cash out my my ticket at a decent price. And I'm going to do it because uh, again, I'd, I'd rather get the money and, and know I, I have it in hand rather than roll that dice. And hey, you know and what? No, I'm double checking now. Uh, it was a tie him and Cam Smith for second place. Okay. In the masters last year. So there you go. So yeah, uh, M's one of my guys I'll be taking. I guess. And I think I have, <clears throat> have him at 40 to one. Uh, I also have uh, JT who I, I really do believe he's my top guy to win. I think this is his year. Uh, yeah, and, uh, Bill, let me just jump in real quick and say, yeah. um, I actually think when you have, you, if you're in a spot this weekend where, you know, your outright guy fires a 65, 64 tomorrow or whatever, I, I think that while I don't necessarily in my book doesn't even uh, often offer those cash outs and you just kind of have to ride it, but if you want to, Yes, I, I get what you're saying, but I actually think the more interesting thing, if you believe that, you know, now this can obviously create a little bit of downside as well, but you can shoot for some middles and try and play fade that guy in round matchups, you know, for the third round, final round, you know, particularly third round going into the final round. If you got the leader on an outright ticket, you know, fading him in a in a head-to-head for the final round matchup, where if his lead's big enough, he could lose that matchup and still win the golf tournament. Or, again, if you're just looking to kind of get out in front of things in the second or third rounds and fade the guy, uh, you know, in a round, that I think is a, a hedge that I'm a little more interested in because it opens up some middle opportunities for you. Never thought of it that way. It's interesting. You'll have to run that by me again, though, because that was way too much thinking for me right now to process. But, uh, <laughs> no, well, basically but I, what I'm getting at is if your guy shoots a good round, fade him the next round in a round matchup, mm-hmm. and you could still cash your outright ticket on him if he struggles in that given round. 
Right. Okay. Okay. I got you now. I got you now. Yeah. Not something I've tried a ton of, but that's mm-hmm. what I would sooner do than cash out. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. All right. There you um, go. So you mentioned JT, um, and I, I have him as well. Um, I got him at twelve to one, and I, I, he's going to be the guy that I'm mo- most interested in as far as the top guys, because I feel like just from a media, you know, and this also I think when it comes to an individual sport, yeah, it's the Masters. I think everybody's kind of to a degree coming in fired up, but. Think about it. Everybody's, you know, DJ's the defending champ. Rom, you know, just had the baby. You know, it feels like JT isn't getting as much love as far yep. as you know the headlines coming into this event. Um, and so I think he's probably coming in here with a chip on his shoulder. And uh, we talk about the strokes gained. You're talking about probably the best iron player in the world here. Mm-hmm. And uh, generally speaking, just from the research I've done, Augusta is kind of like that second shot course where you know you want to be able to hit greens and uh, you know, hit your drive in the fairway, but then really where you're going to make your money is uh, on those approach shots. So I, I think that play, it plays into his hands as well uh, on in that regard. Yeah, and you know they're all going to be talking about his buddy Jordan, right? After the last couple of rounds, exactly. That he's had. Right, so exactly. I'm 100 percent with you on that. The fact that the you know not all eyes are going to really be on him. The storylines are going to be outside of him. It could be an opportunity for him. Like I said, either chip on his shoulder, or it's like, hey. I have no noise around me. You know, he can right. focus in. Either way, it's a good thing for us. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, he's my best bet as far as uh, <clears throat> outright winner. Um, so yeah. You got a 12 to 1, you got an 11 and a half. Yeah, it's it's definitely a decent value number there because, again, I think I think argue, you can argue that he's he should be in the top three here as far as prices. So to get him at 11 and a half, I'll, I'll take that for sure. Uh, so you, you're on Sungjae and JT there. We'll circle back to another one of yours that I'm on as well. I mentioned that I'm on JT. Um, I want to mention a couple guys in that kind of second tier of prices that I like, guys in the 20 to 30 to 1 outright market range. Uh, Patrick Cantlay at 20 to 1 and Colin Morikawa at 30 to 1 are the two that I'm looking at. Uh, Cantlay um, has played five-stroke play events this year and finished in the top 15 in four of the five. I think this is just like the thing that I like about both of these guys. Now I realize that Morikawa did not have the best of showings uh, at the Masters in November, finishing 44th. Uh, But the thing I like about both these guys, it just feels like they're so consistent, right? I mean, you look up at any event that these guys are in, and you're going to see top 10s, top 15s, top 20s, etc. And like I said, Cantlay in four events this year, five events this year, stroke play events, has finished in the top 15 in four of them. So uh, I, I think at 20, this is a guy I just feel like is due, like Morikawa had his breakthrough last year at, uh, what was it, the PGA Championship out on the West Coast. Um, and, and I kind of think that Cantlay is one that I'm just waiting for to win a major uh, because of how rock solid he is in most, most events. So you're going to give me that guy at 20 to one. I'll definitely be interested in that. Um, and uh, again, he's a little older than Morikawa at 29, but certainly in that kind of ripe age territory right now on the tour where you're going to have me interested. And then Morikawa, I mentioned it, not the best master showing last year, but fifth in the tour so far this year in greens and regulation talked about approach shots uh, being very important, uh, 14th in putting average. Uh, so somebody that I 
going to trust to make greens and, uh, you know, two putt at the worst and, and be able to give himself an opportunity come Sunday. And I just think like the skill for this guy is so good where if you're going to give me, like I got him at 30 to one, like if, if I'm going to get him at 30 to one in almost any event, I would consider betting him blindly. Um, and uh, certainly hoping that, um, you know, we see him in a lot of Ryder Cups and things like that as well. Um, just I, I'm, I'm all in on the guy, really. I mean, I was uh, remember last year when he first started to break out watching a docu, uh, not a documentary, but like a feature piece on Golf Channel about his upbringing at uh, Planet Cal. And uh, yeah, I, I just uh, think he's got the chance to be the number one player in the world. Uh, at you know at a certain point in the near future, so uh, Morikawa and Cantlay for a couple of my uh, my outrights as well. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on those two, or if you want to transition to your next one. Real quick, I, I like the Morikawa. I think he's a contender in almost every event he plays in. But is there any hesitation with the Cantley play? The fact that <clears throat> the only event that he's played in recent, the players he missed the cut. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I, I did. Uh, uh, that was the one event that he uh, kind of bombed in. That mm-hmm. I mentioned the the five stroke play events. But I, I think I've earned enough trust in him now to mm-hmm. where like you last year, he finished back nine, here. you know, he finished you know two top tens at majors last year, right. uh, ninth at the Masters and third at the PGA. So, um, or excuse me, that's in 2019. Um, but nonetheless, I think I'm at the point where I'm willing to kind of, uh, and again, uh, just something that we discussed a little, um, off the air before we jumped on here. Uh, sometimes again, that kind of visibility, if it's bad, can actually be a benefit when it comes to the outright prices. I mean, I, I don't think Cantley comes much shorter than 20 to one in a masters just yet. Um, but certainly, if he's around on Sunday, you're you're maybe talking about him in, in the fifteen, eighteen to one price range. So um, I think it's something that I'm willing to kind of move on from, uh, as opposed to uh, sound the alarms on. So um, Canley and Morikawa for me there. Uh, why don't you fire away on uh, your next pick, an American? Yeah, uh, really uses strictly value. He's been playing decent golf all year. Um, kind of a little bit of a resurgence, I feel like, with him. Uh, and that's Harris English. I got him at 100 to 1. Uh, again, it's just a dart on him. Nothing that I'm not super, super confident. But again, he's a name that I think could be in contention on Sunday. Uh, and if he is and I can get a good buyback there, I'm going to take it. So. English is my other one, and the last one that I have, I believe you're on as well, and you got a much better number than I did. Yeah. Um, and that's Corey Connors. I got him at 66 to one, um, and he falls into the same kind of categories that I mentioned with with him, uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, he, the only thing that he does not have uh, is that he did not finish in the top two so far this year. He has a top five finish. Um, and I think at that point between top five and top two, we're really splitting hairs because to me, if you're in the top two and you don't get the win, I mean, what's the point? You know, you're just first loser, as some people like to say. So sure. I don't think that's a big factor, but I think he's been playing, you know, very, very solid golf. He's what I think he's 12th overall on tour in strokes gained from tee to green. Um, I think this is a spot where he can, 
he can really make a charge and, and, and be a name that, you know, right now it's not a name that many casual fans know of. Um, and I think after this event, this could be a guy that people are talking about uh, going forward for the rest of the year. Yeah, not um, a ton of research on him this go around, but I'm with you as far as him not being a name that as many people know about and somebody that I have found myself on in previous events uh, and always kind of does, for reasons you mentioned, kind of strike me as kind of intriguing in the price range that he's at. So um, I definitely uh, wish you well there, and uh, I think his game is probably big enough, uh, you know, and, and just as far as, um, you know, some of the recent showing, well, not, not even necessarily recent showings, but uh, again, I feel like this is a guy who's, you know, Thursday, a Thursday, Friday name at majors often that for one reason or another, hasn't put it together over the course of 72 holes yet. So somebody like that, uh, again, he's only 31 still. So, um, mm-hmm. probably someone that can, you know, is looking at his top results now, in majors, fourth at the U.S. Open last year, top 20 at the PGA Championship last year. So this speaks to my point about, and now going back to eight years ago at the Open Championship, he finished 15th. But it kind of speaks to my point about somebody that um, has been in the mix at different times and just never put the four rounds together. Uh, But, again, given the price range that you get that guy at, kind of interesting and it is worth noting by the way the masters has been his worst major historically but he is a georgia guy so uh mm-hmm. you know he'll always have that in the bag for him uh, um i want to um move on and talk a little bit more you mentioned connor's uh on the price and yeah i got him at 90 to 1 um and uh yeah it is worth noting too if you have multiple outs the golf outright market can can vary a good deal so uh tend to shop around uh, Connor's another guy, by the way, very good with the irons, uh, which is something that I always like. And um, as mentioned it with the approach shots at Augusta. Um, and uh, just the recent big events, too, for this guy have been pretty good. Finished 10th at the Players this year um, and also uh, was in the top 10, uh, excuse me, in the top 10 at both the Players and the last year's Masters, which, again, I think this is also something for these guys in the triple digits or, you know, the, you know, 75 to 1, 65 to 1, and, you know, north of that price range. If you're coming in, particularly this year, having played a good Masters in 2020, that we're only five, six months removed from that, you know? So uh, right. I think that you're talking about some guys that are very recently have, have played well at the course and aren't going to be intimidated. So I think that's a factor as well. Um, let's see. Oh, I do have two more that I want to get to with outrights. Um, and it's very similar on the handicaps and it's guys that I'm not going to really use at all in matchups strictly because of the volatility that can come with these two guys. Uh, those two being Sergio Garcia and Dylan Fratelli, uh, the Spaniard, obviously we know about his history. He has won this event before I got him at 60 to one. Uh, and I think a guy like that is always going to be interesting to me. Uh, you know, I gave Adam Scott a look too, as far as a previous Masters champion. I think he's a, up around seventy-five to one in that neighborhood. Um, I think guys like that, though, that aren't maybe priced like the best players on the golf course for the weekend, but have had success on the biggest stage of the sport 
are always going to intrigue me when you're talking about them at 60, 70 to 1, etc. Because when they do get going, right, I mentioned a guy like English who maybe hasn't been able to string it together for four rounds at a big-time event. Well, Sergio has, you know, at the biggest stage in the sport. So uh, I, I think that he's coming in uh, every time he plays this golf course, even if his recent showings in the season, that is, aren't great. He always has that experience of winning the event in the past to lean on, which I think is important. And uh, again, strokes gained. He's gained over two strokes tee to green, uh, you know, per round going back to February 1st. So uh, you're going to give me him, or you're going to give me Sergio coming in playing well. As I said, with that background at Augusta, uh, I'm definitely going to be interested there. And then, and then Fratelli, kind of the same deal. Again, volatile players here, but when they make the cut, I, uh, Dylan Fratelli, another one from South Africa, where I think you could see them do some things. Uh, he has four top tens since play resumed uh, out of the COVID pause last year. Um, so I got him at 200 to one. Again, it's just a dart throw. Both Sergio and Dylan Fratelli could miss the cut, so I'm not going to play them in matchups. But guys that I think if they're around on the weekends aren't going to fade. Um, and so uh, those are just some of my other ones there. So to recap, uh, consensus uh, for both of us on Connors and JT, Bill on Sungjae Im and Harris English, and I also like Colin Morikawa, Patrick Cantlay, Sergio Garcia, and Dylan Fratelli. Let's get into some fades now, uh, just some guys for the tournament that we aren't going to be as high on. Uh, Bill, I'll let you start. Uh, this was a guy that had a pretty nice showing in the PGA Championship last year, but you're going to be uh, taking a stance against Cameron Champ. Yeah, I don't like his recent form uh, at all. He's last four events, he's missed uh, half of those cuts. Uh, he's just he's a guy that I felt like you know was going to make a, a pretty decent stride this year, and I just haven't really seen it. Um, I feel like this stage is going to be a little bit too big for him. I want to be playing him to miss the cut. Uh, I'm getting him at plus 130. Uh, all the guys that I'm going to be playing as far as fades are, are guys that are in plus money, obviously, for, for missing the cut, um, where I'm not going to get hurt too much if they do make it. Uh, I'm not going to be taking them uh, in matchups, or, or I'm not going to be going against them either in the matchups. I think we talked a little bit off air before we got on here <clears throat> about one of my other guys that I'll be feeding. Um, and, and the reason, I think it was Champ, actually, I said. You know, you mentioned, you know, am I going to be playing against him, fading him in a matchup? And I said, no, because the matchups that I saw him in, I'd be having to go negative money, minus 120, minus 130, whatever it may be. Uh, and I like playing the missed cut rather than, you know, the matchup because – if I'm fading a guy, I'm fading him because I think he's going to have a bad two days, you know. Chances are he could have a, he could have a decent day, sure. And I think right. the matchup that day um, where I take the loss there. Or, like you said, if I'm in a tournament matchup and he shoots, say, three over, but the guy that I, um, I have going against him, who I don't really like, I'm just taking him because I'm fading champ, uh, you know, puts up a number bigger than champ, but they both missed the cut. And I sit there and go, I could have plus money on him to miss the cut, you know, and I don't even have to worry really about the matchup. Uh, so when I look at it that way, that's why I like playing these, these missed cut numbers uh, for guys I'm fading. So 
Yeah, Cameron Champ's going to be one of my first guys uh, that I'm going to be playing as a fade. 130, plus 130 to miss the cut. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, that's interesting as far as, because I'm going to kind of bring in the opposite perspective just as far as ways you like to fade players uh, in these events. I think you're right, though, as far as, you know, a guy like Champ or a Finau, uh, you know, who you're going to get to in a minute. Uh, sorry for spilling the beans there. But nonetheless, um, when it comes to guys that, you know, maybe aren't expected to be in the top five, top ten on Sunday, then you're better off doing what you're doing where you're just going to kind of bet them to miss the cut and, uh, like you said, bet them to have two bad rounds uh, as opposed to – because remember, if these guys aren't the highest profile golfers, then the guys that they're going to be matched up against in the round matchups uh, or the tourney matchups are also not going to be the highest profile golfers. So that's going to increase the likelihood that – maybe the guy that they're playing also misses the cut in those matchups. And then the last thing you would want to happen would be to lose something like that when you have your guy miss the cut, especially at a plus price, and you use them in a matchup either for the second round or for the tournament. So I think that's well taken. Now I'm going to look at it the other way, though. Just some bigger names that I am going to be taking a stance against. Um Bryson DeChambeau, I mean, he just hasn't played his best finish at Augusta is 29th, okay? So a guy that's going to get a lot of love and is going to be a media darling all the time, uh, he's hitting fewer than 60% of his fairways, which doesn't seem like a recipe for success at Augusta. Like, you do enough of his, you know, smash the ball off the tee and you end up in enough roughs and you don't hit good enough approach shots, well... Again, I've talked about it before, the, the you know, the Augusta kind of being a second shot type of course. And if he's hitting enough of those second shots out of the roughs, I'm not going to be that interested in him. So I definitely am going to pass on him in the outright market uh, and probably will find myself against him in various matchups. But again, I think that that is an example of where I will much sooner fade DeChambeau in matchups because he could easily make the cut and I could still cash those tickets. So I think it really just depends on the, the profile of the player who you're looking to fade. And if it's a bigger name, you're going to want to fade them in matchups. And if it's a medium to lower name, then go ahead and bet them to miss the cut. Yeah, I agree with you. It's interesting, too, the names you, you're you mentioning, you know, DeChambeau, get off the tee and really bomb the ball. I, I really think, and I think I heard it a little bit, uh, throughout the week so far that you know, Augusta's really changed the way that this course is going to be played in comparison to how it played last year. You know, when you saw DJ just absolutely destroying the course, sure. um, they don't want to, they don't want to see that same kind of scoring go. When he finished like 20 under. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So I don't expect that. So I think some of these big hitters, they're going to run into some problems. Like you said, if they're getting the rough and the, the rough's a little bit thicker than normal and, you know, they're not, they're just simply not great iron players. Um, That's when the volatility seems exactly, to run up. Guys. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it makes sense what you're doing with, with those names for sure. Go ahead and take us through the rest of your fades. It looks like you're listing off. I mentioned Finau, Mark Leishman, Francesca Molinari, and Charles Schwartzel. Yeah, all missed the cuts. I have Finau at a plus 335, obviously a good number because of the name. But his last three events, he, he finished in the top 30 and one, but he also missed the cut twice. Um, very inconsistent so far this year. Leishman, three events, missed the cut twice. I got him at plus 150. Molinari, he's only played twice. Both times he's missed the cut, plus 125. Schwartzel's been in four, missed the cut uh, 
two of those four. I have him at even money. And uh, Greg, real quick, earmuffs. Guys, I'm taking for Telly plus 130 to miss the cut, too. So if he makes the cut, I hope he wins the tournament for you. But, uh, yeah, I'll probably be playing him as well at the plus money, plus 130 there. Yeah, and like I said, uh, you know, a guy like that, uh, I, I fully acknowledged, uh, could miss the cut uh, anyway. So uh, just one of those high-variance guys that I didn't want to turn down at 200 to yeah, 1. My book 200 was off, to 1, yeah. So why, how, I can't say no to that. As far as other guys – I mentioned it. I, I tend to step in front of the like I and granted can pay the price here, but uh, I tend to like to step in front of the big names. Like I said, for reasons where it's like, okay, well, I like JT. Let's say so. I'm gonna bet JT in matchups against some of the other guys that are at the top of the price range. Um, and so um, I, I tend to kind of pick my battles up front and fade off of uh, matchups as opposed to missing the cuts. Um, like I said, and, and trying to bet against some of the guys at the top by also using guys at the top in matchups against those guys. So, uh, therefore, uh, a couple other guys I mentioned, JT, um, on him, uh, and, um, well, this is one of my matchups, but I'll just get into it at large. I'm not, I'm going to take, um, I don't think I'm going to be on DJ a whole lot here. The last repeat Masters champion was Tiger Woods, uh, in his prime back in 2001 and 2002. So, Listen, DJ's great. I, I I don't know that he's that yet. So, um, you know, I, I think that right there, you know, I mean, generally speaking, right, like, I mean, Bill, like, we just talked a lot at the beginning about how this whole thing is, you know, how golf can be so mental and it can be, you know, you're just out there by yourself. Well, now take that into account and then consider that in the Masters, you are up against the best golfers in the world. Like, everyone's playing the Masters. That's healthy, and, you know, this is why you do it, to, to play on the PGA Tour, to play this event. So it's probably always going to be the best field in golf, and that right there I just think makes it hard to win this thing back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so his results, by the way, for DJ aren't great in his last three starts. So – you put those two things together, again, probably not somebody I'm going to find myself on a ton of. And then Brooks Kepka, a big name, but he's coming off knee surgery, um, so he hasn't really played a ton. And I just think that – He just got engaged. You, right. Yeah, there you go. Maybe that's uh, – maybe that, his that's mind's elsewhere. Uh, maybe, maybe that fires him up. I don't know. It depends on how you want to look at that. But um, certainly physically, uh, I'd rather uh, just see what he's got. Um, before I, uh, you know, bet on him. So much more likely to bet against uh, Kepka, um, as I said, coming off that surgery. Uh, no, I really just don't, generally speaking, when I handicap majors, and I don't bet golf every week. So, um, again, maybe not the uh, the best, the voice of, the most voice of reason here, let's say. But um, the big names that haven't played a lot for one reason or another, whether it's injury or just spacing out their schedules in, in various ways. And I feel like we don't see that as much now because all these big names are younger, so they're playing a lot. Uh, but guys that come in having, you know, sat out the last two events or whatever, last three events, like, but if you're a big name, that's always going to kind of drive you up the price mark, the price range in the outright market or in matchups, you're going to be against guys that kind of might just be in better recent form 
I'm going to probably take a stance against you. That's kind of where I'm at with Kepka. So um, any kind of final words there on some of the names we discussed here? No, again, I, I back your uh, reasoning behind those big names, big hitters, and the course setting up differently this year is, is going right. to be a problem for some of those guys. So, yeah, I think, Why don't you I think take us through, um, I mentioned it, uh, JT over DJ, one of my matchups. Uh, you're on JT as well against John Rahm. Yeah, uh, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't absolutely love this matchup because, uh, you know, Rahm can put it together. He's definitely going to be a name that should be in contention. But like I said off the get-go when we were doing our outright picks, I really do like JT to win this. So if I like him to win it, uh, the fact that he could, you know, potentially finish top five, top ten, um, you know, I don't cash the outright ticket, but I could be able to cash my tourney ticket over Rahm. Uh, makes sense, and I got. And, and I think that also, by the way, is the same point that I'm mentioning as far as the fades, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, if you want to fade the top guys, you want to do it in matchups. It's kind of the same thing if you want to buy some of these top guys. Obviously, the outright market the prices are going to be a lot shorter, but you're going to get them at like standard juice against another top guy who you might not be as in on, and therefore you might think that JT is going to win the event. But if you're not, you're going to see him matched in against Rom. If you like him more than Rom anyway, then you obviously don't necessarily need him to win the event, right? Like the volatility when it comes with, and I'm not saying Rom's going to miss the cut, but mm-hmm. the volatility that can come with these golf majors is just, you know, Rom might finish outside the top five, finish outside the top ten, right? And then all right. of a sudden, your you know window for error when it comes to JT. Uh, in this matchup, gets a lot wider, right? And look, he's probably on lack of sleep, right? He just his wife just had right. a baby, That's and the kid. you know, yeah, I doubt he's worrying about that. He's probably got five <laughs> people can take care of the infant. Hey, you never know; they're human. Yeah, <laughs> they don't seem like it when they're on TV. That's true. So Fair yeah, point. JT's maybe one I'm going to play uh, for the full tourney. The other one is a name I keep saying is M uh, Sanjay M. I'm playing him. It's probably more of a fade on Burger, who just seems to. Uh, have had some lingering injury concerns throughout the year. Uh, he actually backed out of one of the tournaments uh, a couple of tournaments ago, uh, right before uh, they kicked off. So I don't like Daniel Berger in this spot. Uh, him again, I expect him to play well in this tournament. And the fact that I want to get a get him going up against a an injured uh, Berger, I'll I'll take my number there with minus one hundred five. I'm not I'm not laying much juice on it as well. So. I'll be on aim in that one. Yeah, um, I'll get into a burger fate of my own is when we get into our first round plays to wrap this up. But we've gone 52 minutes without talking about Jordan Speed, so I want to get Who? to him now. Um, yeah, right. Huh. <laughs> um, as he wins in San Antonio, and now all of a sudden, uh, gosh, you know, uh, everybody wants to think he's back. And, hey, it's certainly good for the game if he is back. Uh, because he's such a big name, and gosh, I remember being in college watching him win, what was it, the Masters, so convincingly in 15, and then he went to Beth Page or not Beth Page uh, Chambers Bay out in the Pacific Northwest, and mm-hmm. DJ obviously had that fatal three-putt, but, and, you know, and Spieth wins back-to-back majors, and, and he should have won. Mentioned it, we talked about back-to-back green jackets having not been done since 2002 when Tiger repeated, well, Spieth had it and just choked. What did he make a seven there on the back nine and sixteen? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so but that but 
I think that speaks to the level that he was at there and how dominant he was playing uh, in the middle part of the decade that just ended. So um, it'd be great if he's back. And he's somebody that, again, when it comes to the outright market, like, and we talked about this, I believe, off the air. I think you said he was being offered at like 50 to 1 prior to that win against uh, in San Antonio. Is that correct? Correct, yep. Yeah, and so now you're seeing him right at the top, basically. Like so, and I get it, right? Like odds makers have to kind of get out in front of these things, particularly when it's a guy like Speed, who I'm sure they're still going to take a lot of action on at the prices that these different books are offering him. Uh, but you know, he's in that like ten to one, eleven to one range, and um, it, it, it's so therefore it's not somebody that. I'm jumping out of my shoes to bet outright, but I think in the matchup market, that's where you're going to make more money betting Jordan Spieth this weekend. Uh, And so I'm going to play him over Rory McIlroy. Just a couple things. I do think he's probably coming in with a renewed sense of confidence. And I mentioned those results at Augusta. Uh, So somebody that I think is probably going to come here thinking that, you know, he's played well at the course before and is now playing well. And McElroy, I mean, let's be honest, like this major has always kind of been a thorn in his side, right? Like he has not uh, had his best showings at Augusta. So, uh, you know, also another guy whose recent form has been a little spotty. And again, when it comes to majors, I know we're still talking about big names here, but, uh, you know, Masters has not been uh, particularly kind to him throughout his career. So, uh, I like Jordan Spieth over Rory McIlroy uh, for a matchup play. I'm going to double-check right now where I got that. Uh, I did lay uh, swallow a little bit of juice on that, uh, which I am confirming right now. I went at minus $1.17 on Spieth over McIlroy. I know those are a couple of big names, uh, so just anything else to add on those two golfers in particular and what you think about them. Yeah, I mean, you, you pretty much laid most of it out there. I, I'm with you. I hope Jordan is back. Uh, I loved his game. He seemed to fade off a little bit. Uh, and I think, like, part of that is because, right, like you just said, he had those back-to-back major wins, and all of a sudden he was being crowned as the next Tiger Woods. And, you know, that that's a lot of pressure. Which, which obviously, like, let's hope, by the way, for these other guys. Like, we talked about Morikawa and, you know, I mean, gosh, Speed was about more college age when that happened. Like, let's just hope that's a lesson of caution for some yeah. of these guys, whether it's Deshambo or Morikawa or whoever. Right? Like, there's not probably a more humbling and humanizing sport out there than golf. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I think you're right too, also about Rory. Like his his recent form hasn't been spectacular, so uh, he doesn't have the best track record here at Augusta. So. Yeah, no problem with the plays you're putting out there on those two tournament matchups at all. Uh, let's get into some first-round matchups to wrap things up now here on Full Slate. You uh, talked about Sungjae as one of your outright plays. You're going to take him over Matthew Fitzpatrick. Um, anything in particular, you know, bringing you against Fitzy here or just something with him where uh, you like him at this price point to get off to a good start and shoot a better round? Yeah, it's more it's more play on him here. Fitzpatrick is a decent player. Um, I'm not fading him at all. I just think him. Uh, yeah, I'm getting him a plus money. It's only plus one hundred five, but plus money uh, against him in this matchup. Um, but I really like my other one 
little bit more name we just mentioned in, in Jordan Spieth. Uh, I'm going against him in this one, uh, and I'm going to be playing the guy who one of only three golfers to finish top five in two of the last three Masters. That's Cameron Smith, and I'm getting him at plus a buck and a quarter. So uh, I like that number there. I feel like I'm getting that more so for like what we said. You know, Spieth just coming off that victory. And look, that, that could be a loss. It could be Jordan just comes out. He's still hot. He plays really well in the opening round. So be it. Um, but the fact that I'm getting plus 125 on a guy who we just talked about, you know, has a great track record here at Augusta. Uh, he's only played two two recent tournaments. He's finished in the top 30 in both of them. So, you know, if he's going to be doing that again this in this tournament, he's going to have to start off with a, a decent start in round one. So, uh, yeah, price point, you know, Makes sense for me with him. His track record at Augusta makes sense for it. So that'll be my last one. It'll be that round one matchup, Cameron Smith, plus a buck and a quarter against Jordan. I'll wrap up with uh, another play with a little bit of juice attached to it. Late 20 uh, to back Xander Shoffley in the first round against Daniel Berger. You mentioned it, Berger uh, coming in, obviously, with some injury history. Um and he did not play, though he didn't qualify for the last two Masters. So, you know, it doesn't sound like somebody you won a lot of this weekend. I mean, he's good enough where he could certainly maybe get hot and and kind of all of a sudden look like the guy that's, you know, won some events and obviously, you know, is somebody that can probably win. He's probably going to win a major sooner rather than later at some point, but... It doesn't feel like this is the spot for him. As I said, not a lot of history with the course, not a lot of recent history just this season with the injuries. So, um, Shoffley, on the other hand, was somebody that I thought I considered outright uh, somebody who hasn't been atop the leaderboards uh, a ton lately. And so, you know, he has drifted down into that 20 to 30 to 1, 1 range where. He's in there with the Morikawas of the world and the Cantleys of the world, things like that. And he's normally, you know, a notch above them and, and inching his way closer to that Rom, you know, DJ tier. You know, usually a little bit in between the two, kind of like a tier 1.5, let's say. So he's drifted out a little, uh, but I, I think it's a nice kind of get-right opportunity for him, uh, particularly as a gambler in this matchup with, with Berger. So... Um, anything for you there on, on Xander, though, this weekend? No, nah, I like him. He's he, Again, he's a guy that seems to always be in contention. Um, yeah, I don't have any plays on him, but it yeah, wouldn't shock me to see him in the top ten uh, come Sunday. Well, there he is. He's Bill Christie. You know him as Lucha Larry on Gambling Twitter. I'm Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg. Shoot Bill a follow at Larry's Locks 2. Follow the podcast as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. Bill, always fun. I'm sure we'll be talking plenty of baseball uh, for the rest of April, and uh, good luck with the Masters. Thanks. Same to you. There he is, as I said, Bill Christie at Larry's Locks 2 on Twitter. I'm Greg Frank at Undercover Greg for me. Thanks to all who tuned in, and again, good luck to everyone at the most prestigious event in golf, and most importantly, Please play responsibly. This has been another episode of Full Slate.